0: Well, this is the uh, last message in our series, and uh, we've covered a lot of ground, and the series has been emphasizing that when an individual returns to their creator, Christ in trust, that it creates a dynamic relationship that will prove itself by our actions, it will affect us, it'll change the way we think, it'll change our value system, it will change our conduct, our behavior, things we used to do and like to do, we will suddenly not want to do, things that we didn't care about, suddenly we will care about and we'll start practicing. Uh, Real trust in Christ, a real conversion experience produces ongoing dynamic change in our life. And so each week we've had this guiding passage of scripture from the book of James And it says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it does not, what is the word? Prove itself with what? Actions is dead. It goes on in a different version, the ISV, to say, so then faith that doesn't involve action is what? And this is why we have so many people that declare themselves Christians, followers of Christ, but their lives give a completely different message. And frankly, they draw more criticism and do more harm than they do good. Now, you say, Randy, are are you saying that we're supposed to be instantly perfect? We're supposed to be exactly like Christ? It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if I've really returned to Christ, my creator in trust and become his follower, it will show, it will prove itself. Of course, I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow in understanding and knowledge. I'm going to start learning from his word, the way that he designed me to live. And I'm going to start doing what he says, when he tells me to stop doing something, I'm going to trust him enough to stop doing it. When he tells me to start learning to do something, I'm going to start learning to do it because I actually do trust him. My actions prove my trust, my faith. It's a dynamic, ongoing relationship. There's going to be progressive development. I'm not going to be perfect overnight, but I should be growing and it should be demonstrative. There's a second part that I've shared with you each week in this um, series. God always intended our relationship with him to be dynamic and developmental. This life is a developmental journey. The dynamic is the result of our trust in God. The development is the result of our, what is the word? Obedience to God. Listen, you you can sit in a church like this for 50 years. And you can hear all kind of biblical teaching and you won't grow at all. You won't change at all unless you and I take God's word that we are taught and we obey it and put it into practice. Our development is the result of obedience. Listen, I, I, I could read all that I wanted to about playing guitar. I, I could become an expert, read volumes about playing the guitar. But how many of you know that if I didn't pick up a guitar and start trying to learn how to play it, obeying the principles of playing I would never learn to play guitar. How many agree with that? Same principle with Christianity, God actually intends this life. His purpose is it's meant to be a developmental journey. I am, once I return to my creator Christ in trust, then I am designed by God in this life to grow, to develop, to become a Christ-like version of myself. That is your purpose for life. That is my purpose for life. That is a God-given purpose for each and every one of us in this life. All right, so each week this series is emphasized sometimes you just have to, and the notion is, there's action. Sometimes you just have to do something. And so today we come to the last in the series, and it's sometimes you just have to fight something. Now, we, we, we don't like the notion of fighting something, and particularly in our society today, there's sort of a, you know, a negative toward the whole notion of fighting, but I'm going to tell you something. How many of you know that if you're going to have a, a marriage that succeeds, you're going to have to fight for that marriage to succeed? The very best marriages are still going to have to fight to succeed and to get better. How many know that? Can I just see your hands? You that have kids, I'm telling you, like never before in human history, probably, you are going to have to fight to protect and to nurture and to develop your kids in this society we live in today. And So we could go right on down the line. Sometimes you just have to fight. There was this couple living in Alaska. And... um, They had been in Alaska a long time. The husband was a bush pilot. Uh, The lady was 85 years old. Her husband is 82 years old. And they were out walking their golden retrievers in Alaska. And suddenly, the husband uh, came across, you know, cross paths with a moose. The wife was in the car just trying to stay warm, or in the truck just trying to stay warm. And the moose, for whatever reason, uh, charged at this husband, this 82 year old husband. Knocked him down and just started stomping the daylights at him. How many of you know that had Bullwinkle wanted to knock off Boris and (laughs) Natasha? (laughs) He's 1,500 pounds, man. He could have taken care of business with Natasha and Boris anytime he wanted. Boris was not bad enough for for (laughs) Bullwinkle. So he's stomping this poor old guy. And this five foot tall... 85-year-old woman jumps out of the truck, grabs a shovel, and goes to war with this moose. Now, this is, generally speaking, not the thing to do. It's already angry. It's already stomping someone. She goes at it, and she keeps banging away until finally she wins out. She chases that moose off. Here's a picture of uh, the husband and her in the hospital Husband, you can see a big gash on his head, broke seven of his ribs, and that little five-foot-tall lady. <laughs> 1,500-pound moose versus her and a shovel. <laughs> Odds would have been against her, but she won. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to fight. I mean, what was that fight about? That fight was about love. Uh, she loved her husband enough that she would risk her life against a 1,500-pound moose. So, Sometimes in life, in fact, let let, let me go further, all times in life, truth be told, all times in life, if you are going to, if I am going to get what life is meant to be about, the things that are good in life require fighting for, I wish it weren't so, I wish it came easily, but it doesn't. Now, some of the fights that we have, and we're going to discuss a lot of different ones, some of them are quite serious. And so to introduce that to you, I want to share a video piece of um, one of our FCF members, uh, Tyler Nicely, and he'll tell you his fight story.
1: I started smoking marijuana in high school. When I got to college, uh, I became exposed to, to a wide variety of different drugs that's where I started to really fall off the tracks. After college, uh, you know, got hooked on prescription medication. There was a point where uh, someone I'd consider a close friend mentioned to me uh, to go to the Frederick Rescue Mission. And I just blatantly said no thanks. You know, it's not for me. I'm good. You know, I got this. I can beat it on my own. That's that's easy. You know, I just haven't tried hard enough yet. Weeks would go by. I'd be doing okay. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, the wheels fall off the train again. And and I'm in full fledged addiction. You know, I took pills in excess. And there were numerous days, weeks, months where i would just pray to god you know please let me wake up tomorrow it got to a point of such despair that i mean i had no real purpose or motivation to keep going um, you know i didn't have a whole lot going for me there was a time where i was holding a gun to my head and a finger on the trigger and just, you know, contemplating what to do just because, you know, I knew the cycle I was in was um, was going to kill me one way or another. There came a point when uh, my college professor approached me and asked me to to go get help. And, and I did. I did. I took that first step. Went to the hospital to get detoxed and it really woke me up then to say, hey, I need to get this under wraps, I need to stop playing with this, you know. The fight was just starting to happen. I sat down with a close group of family and friends and you know, discussed the options that I had. One was to move into the Frederick Rescue Mission and be a part of their Change Life Recovery Program and realizing I would be giving up a lot of freedoms. but you know you got to get this under control and you know this is a never-ending fight you know this is something that you want to have to battle the rest of your life and, and here's just a turning point in which way you're going to go throughout my time in the program um, you know the fight never ended it, it was definitely a struggle you know to want to stay the whole time you know I made a commitment when I got there, that I was going to see it through. But there were definitely times where, you know, I had to fight off the urge to want to just walk out the door. But I realized that there were things in me that God was still working out through this process. And when Christ starts something in you, He's going to see it through. Um, If you're willing, He's going to see the process through. And, And that made me think, well, if, if he put me in this process of going through the Rescue Missions program uh, then I got to complete it to see the final result. Since graduation, you know, I've been hard at work you know, at the mission it was, it was nice to be able to engage with other residents there, you know, work out with them um, to get them healthy and to show them, you know, a different way to relieve stress and uh, to lead a healthy lifestyle. That led me to really think and pray about is this something I'd do professionally? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm currently in the process of being certified as a, as a personal trainer. I got a full time job working at the Green Valley YMCA as the membership and program engagement director. It's something that I cherish because of that feeling you get seeing someone else happy and, and seeing someone else get healthy and, and really have a better quality of life. I know that the fight's not over, but I'm beyond convinced that it's worth it.
0: Now, <clears throat> the truth is, each of us should be, should be engaged in a fight, actually fights on several fronts. And the fights are not going to end until our life ends. And that's, that's part of God's plan, part of his methodology, part of his character formation process. The interesting thing is, is that we can show up in here on a Sunday morning and uh, some of us may be just in the same kind of struggle that Tyler was in. You know, we, we may have a different kind of addiction, but yet it's there and yet we can kind of appear with our game face. And we may or may not be even understanding that God requires us to fight. That's where I want to start. There's a lot of bad teaching. I wish it weren't so that goes on in churches. There's a lot of bad Christian books that are written that give the notion in one way or another that once you return to your creator Christ in faith and you trust him, that everything is smooth and easy and breezy. And that, frankly, all you ever have to do is let go and just let God. You just make this big surrender, and that's all you have to do. And God just kind of comes in, sweeps in, transforms you from the inside out. I'm just curious. Any, have any of you come across teaching like this in any form or another ever heard of it? Can I, yeah, it's really common. It's really pervasive, and it's really false. It's not biblical. It's not backed by anything in Scripture at all. If you're clinging to this, I beg you. To let it go because it will not serve you well. It will not release you. You'll never know what it is to be victorious. You'll never know what it is to have the kind of peace and joy that God intends you to have that you can have if you're willing to fight. The two are not contradictory. Now I want to take you through a timeline. In this series of messages, we've tracked some time. So let me just really quickly show you. We started with the character of Noah. And then we went to Abraham. You can see the timeline, you know, about 512 years from Noah to Abraham. And then from there, we went to Joseph. And then from there, we went to Moses, which was last week. And now from Moses to Joshua, just 40 years. Where we start today with Joshua, just 40 years has transpired since Moses, you know, kind, kind of ends his mission. So with that in mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a text before we go to those maps. Okay, so just hold off on the map. So if you don't mind, turn to... Page 241, it'll be the book of Joshua, page 241. We're just going to read a few verses, and then I'll show you some things after that. So Moses has has died. The children of Israel are still not in the promised land. They have been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. Page 241, Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, after Moses, the Lord's servant, died... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Get ready. Cross the Jordan River. Lead these people into the land which I am ready to hand over to them. I am handing over to them every place you set foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the wilderness in the south to Lebanon in the north it will extend all the way to the great river Euphrates in the east, including all of Syria and all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Now, let me show you what that territory looks like. Let me get the first map. And this first map is a little different than what I just described to you. This is from Genesis 15, 18 through 21. This is the original boundary of the land that God said was the possession of Israel forever, perpetually. I want you to look at the area. The boundary goes all the way up. It takes in most of Turkey. It takes in most of Iraq. It takes in all of Syria, all of Jordan. It takes in a good bit of Egypt, a good bit of Saudi Arabia, Lebanon completely, And that little red you see in there, that's the actual land that Israel now possesses. It's about the size of Connecticut. There's about 8 million people living in Israel today. 8 million, that's a very small population. But that's the land that God told them was theirs forever. We're hearing these these debates now about carving up Jerusalem. And I'm telling you, this is a huge mistake. God has given this land to these people. They will possess it. You will live to see it, no doubt. And so tuck that away when we go further. Now let me show you the description of the boundary that we just read. It's interesting that it didn't include Turkey. Turkey was where the Hittites were were, uh, living at the time when the promise was given to Abraham. And I'm not sure why God left that out. But you can see it's the same territory. Almost all of Syria, a lot of Iraq, you know, a lot of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, all of Jordan, all of Lebanon. And then that tiny little reddish in there is what Israel now has. But this is the land That God said to Israel, so when you're listening to all the things you listen to on the news, you need to understand what God said. God says Israel was forever given all of that land. They've never possessed all of it, but they sure as heck deserve all of Jerusalem. So whatever your thoughts are on that, that's what God says. So that's just an aside in this whole thing. So let me go on reading. Let's go back to Joshua. And we'll pick back up in verse 5. The Lord says to Joshua, some 40 40 years now, he's been Moses' partner. He says, no one will be able to resist you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not abandon you or leave you alone. Be strong and brave. You must lead these people in the, what is the word? Conquest. Conquest of this land that I solemnly promised their ancestors I would hand over to them. Make sure you are very strong and brave. That's the second time. You don't have to tell somebody to be very strong and brave unless they're going to face something that makes them scared, right? So be very strong and brave and carefully obey all the law my servant Moses charged you to keep. Do not swerve from it to the right or to the left so that it may so that you may be successful in all you do. This law scroll must not leave your lips. You must memorize it day and night. So that you can carefully, what? Obey, obey all that is written in. L- Listen, folks, studying the word of God is very, very important. And, and, and for all of my years in ministry, some, some 34 years now, I have done everything I know how to get people to, to study God's word for themselves. Get a good study Bible. You can understand the Bible. You should understand it. You should study it for yourself. But after we study it, unless we obey it, it is worthless. That's why he's telling Joshua, he said, you know, you, you need to memorize it. You need to take it in. But, man, if you don't obey it, it's, it doesn't amount to anything. So you can carefully obey all that is written. Then you will, what is the word? Prosper. Prosper and then you'll be what? Successful. successful. That's still, that still carries on today. You want to be prosperous and successful in life? I don't mean prosperous like your pockets bulging with money. I mean prosperous the way God sees it. Your soul developing and you're becoming who you were meant to become and you're doing what you were meant to do. It comes from internalizing God's word and then obeying it in our lives. That brings true prosperity and true success. Well, he goes on. He says in verse 9, I repeat, be strong and brave. That's the third time he has said this. Don't be, what is the word? Afraid. Afraid. And don't panic, for I, the Lord your God, am with you in all you do. Now, if you remember how the story went, the Israelites are. Led out of slavery in Egypt and Moses gets them to the border of the promised land somewhere between 16 months and 2 years. They're right there. They're ready to go in. But when they scout out the land, they find that the land is inhabited by militant societies that had great fortresses. And they even saw the offspring of the Nephilim, the, the Anakim. These were giant people. And so they come back with a bad report and they tell Moses and Joshua and Caleb and, and the elders and leaders, and say, you know, God's, God's brought us out here to slaughter us and to kill us and, and to kill all our kids. We can't fight these people. He's not giving us this land. These people are ready to go to war. And that's why they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. God said, okay, turn back. Turn back. They don't trust me. They're, They're not ready to go in. Now, this is their kids, though, that have wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're ready to fight anybody that moves, okay? They're sick of walking around in circles in the desert. And Joshua now is taking over the lead. But they are going to have to go across this Jordan River, go into the land of Canaan, and God is going to work with them. He promises them if they fight, they will win. He says, everywhere your footsteps, the land is yours. But they understood what this means, what their moms and dads wouldn't do pick up sword and trust God for power to fight, put the personal risk on the line. This generation under Joshua, they were ready to do. And some of you may be thinking, boy, this sounds like bad. Why would God want to drive these people out? Well, if you read in Genesis 15, it says that, that the only reason he was going to wait 400 years or so before driving these people out, they were very wicked society, very evil, but he was going to wait on them for about 400 years because their evil hadn't come to its fullness. God patiently waited for 400 years before he drove these people out through the Israelites. So this is the picture. They're they're about to go on a conquest. It's going to take them about seven and a half years to more or less gain the territory that God wanted them to gain. And they never gained it all. They never fought far enough, hard enough, long enough, thoroughly enough to rid the land of all the destructive forces that God intended them. I and God even told him, he said, you know, the ones you've left behind in the land, they're going to be thorns in your sides. They're going to cause you nothing but trouble. And any of you that have read the book of Judges, you see that's exactly what happens. The people that they left behind caused rebellion after rebellion, war after war after war. But the point is this. God's people are now passing into a different stage. When they left from Egypt, God did everything. They didn't have to do anything. You know, God God sent plague after plague after plague on the Egyptians until the Egyptians finally said, please get out of here. Here's some gold jewelry. Take it with you. Just go. We're sick of these plagues. But now they get to the border of the promised land. And God's been telling them, oh, this is going to be a great place to live. You know, you're you're going to live on your own land. You're going to have peace. You're going to have dignity. You're going to have identity. You're going to be my people. This is going to be a picture of heaven on earth. You're going to live under the laws of the true living God. The rest of the world is going to see you, envy you, want to know who you are, who's your God. You just stick to the program. But then they get to the border of the promised land and they realize, whoa, we're going to have to risk. This is going to be very uncomfortable. We might, we might be in some painful situations in order to acquire what God says he's giving us. But that's exactly what they had to do. Now, let's apply this personally to our circumstances today. Why must we fight? And fight we must. We must fight or be destroyed because evil exists. It's real and it's aggressive. It is like the worst conceivable kind of cancer you can imagine. It does not rest day or night. It's pervasive, it is subtle, it is seductive, it is powerful, it gets at us 24-7. About the only time you can escape at some is if you don't remember your dreams and even some of them are evil. How many know? Some of your dreams are evil. Some of your dreams you wouldn't want anybody to know about, right? How many? Come on, let's have a moment of confession here, right? <laughs> evil is real. Evil is aggressive, and if you don't fight, if I don't fight, we will be victims. And here's the sad thing. Most of the victims of evil, except for those that are in the most violent context, most of evil's victims don't even know that they are being destroyed. That the things they love and care about the most are being destroyed. And if you don't fight for the things that you love and care about the most, I guarantee you, they're going down. They're going down. All right. Let me share a verse with you from the New Testament that tells us why we must fight. In the book of 1 John, it says this. We know, this is writing to Christians, those that have returned to Christ to become his followers. We know that we belong to God not that we're so much good or we're so much better now, but We're not better than anybody. But we've come to our senses and realized we cannot live without God. We need him. We need his loving direction. We need his mercy, his forgiveness for our sins. So we return to him in trust. That's the only difference. We're no better than anybody. We know that we belong to God even though the whole what? The whole world is under the rule of the, what does it say? Now, you know, don't get some notion in your head of some, you know, long-tailed being with a red jacket and pointy horns and all like that. We're talking about an archangel, potentially, with intelligence that's beyond our imagination and power, but who has turned his heart dark against God and good and who is out the story. It's just the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That's hard to believe. But that's what Scripture teaches. How many saw the movie The Matrix, 1999, The Matrix? One of the first movies warning us about something very, very dangerous that's right now in our face, uh, AI, our artificial intelligence. The first movie warning us about AI was in 1984, The Terminator. AI is a very, very serious thing. And if you're not aware of what I'm talking about, you need to read more. But anyway, the movie The Matrix, you that are familiar with it, People are going through life and they're going their routines, they're going to their jobs, they're they're happy-go-lucky, they think everything is normal, but what you find out is that they are actually in pods and the machines, artificial intelligence, have taken over the world and they're drawing the electrical current from physical beings projecting images into our brain so that that we think we're living a regular life but we're not living a life at all we're in a pod having our electric energy sucked out of us and everything we see is fake it's not real And it's a good depiction of this notion that the Scripture teaches that the whole world, with all of its philosophies, with all of its governmental ideas and philosophies, with all of its multiple religions, with all of its distractions, with all of its beauty and charm and seductive sophistication, the Scripture teaches it's this vast, complex, seductive, sophisticated system that's meant to just keep us in a stupor, so that we stupidly march toward our end, our slaughter, without ever knowing who we are, why we're here, what this was all about, what we were meant to do with our life, what we could have done with our life, where we are going after this life ends. This vast, complex, beautiful system is all meant to keep us happily, stupidly on the path to destruction without ever understanding a bit of it. And it says that's where most of the world is. Here's another scripture in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Ephesus. He says, hey, listen, you know, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Don't think that it's people. People might be persecuting you. People might be giving you a bad time. But but don't don't get all hung up on people. He says, we're we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the what kind of world? Unseen world against mighty powers in in this dark world against evil what? Evil spirits in the heavenly places. We're talking about angels. Scripture teaches that one-third of all the the angels that God made have rebelled against him following Lucifer's lead, Satan's lead, the devil's lead, whatever you want to call him. And and so these are the architects of governmental ideas and religions and, and social distractions and fads and trends and false value systems and all these things. Book of James makes it even more blunt about the necessity of us fighting. James says this. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, so submit yourselves to the one true God. That means I'm going to do your will. I surrender to do your will, O God. I'm going to submit to you. And then what does he tell us to do? And do what? Fight against, here's the name, this, this intelligent being, the devil, but not just against him and his what? There word schemes, it means his strategies. Uh, he has lots of strategies to keep human beings from ever knowing the truth about our creator, that he's good, that he's righteous, that he's loving, that he loves us more than we love ourselves, that he knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us. He tries to keep that away from us to just keep us happily, busily, stupidly plunging further and further into destruction. We're to fight against his schemes. If you do, if you fight against him and his schemes, if you do fight, remember this, if you don't fight, won't apply. He will run away. What does it say? In failure. In failure. Now, this doesn't mean that you've got to be thinking every day, I think Satan's out there ready to stop my car from starting today. You know, or Satan's behind that bush. Or, you know, every time somebody talks to you, I, I know you're there, Satan. I know you're... Don't do that because he'll just laugh and, you know, watch you go crazy. Um, no, don't give him much credit at all. You really research the New Testament. It kind of says he's there. It kind of says he's trying to do his destructive thing. But it kind of says to us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We keep our eyes and our focus fixed on Christ. We live to do the will of God. We understand the word of God. We carry it out. And we don't frankly have to think much about Satan at all. But we must understand that he has tactics. He has a a world system. And we must be able to fight against those. God wants us. fact it's always been god's plan when you talk about the elimination of evil god's plan of eliminating evil man i wish i could get into some teaching on this for you guys but i don't have time it's always to involve those that love him and love righteousness it must be so that's the only way that evil can ultimately be eliminated i I have so much i could teach on that but we can't do it this morning Let, let, let me let me go on with one more verse from the new testament about the necessity of fighting In the book of 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writing to his protege, a young man named Timothy, who was watching over a disturbed church in Ephesus, he says, fight the good fight for the true faith. You must fight for churches to stay healthy, to stay strong, to stay on mission, for Christians to grow. It requires a fight. If I could go go back. Okay, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the what? To the eternal life to which god has called you what does it mean to hold tightly to it you see the scripture teaches that when you or i put our faith in christ our creator when we return to him and say lord jesus i'm going to trust you and i'm going to follow you and i'm going to follow you fully i'm going to follow you freely and i'm going to follow you forever because i really trust you it says that god gives us the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life of course that's in his kingdom but what we don't understand about eternal life, we, we tend to think eternal life in a chronological or quantitative terms. It's living forever, it's immortality, and it certainly is that. But it's much more than that when you read scripture. Eternal life is a qualitative kind of a life. It's the quality. It means the kind of life that can actually endure forever. And everyone in the universe would be safe and loved and respected and happy. To have that kind of eternal life requires everybody trusting the creator and living the life that the creator says is the only way life can work. As long as you have evil, you could have people living forever. But what would you have? You'd have a horrible, violent kind of an existence because once, once you take somebody that, that is on an evil path and they know they're not destructible, <laughs> how do you stop somebody like that? So eternal life is, is qualitative as well as quantitative. And it says that right now in this life, we're to take hold of it, which means when we look at scripture and God tells us how we're designed to live and we start living that way, we are living the eternal life that will extend forever already. And we're urged to do that. And that's one way we fight. In other words, it's saying your words, children of God, must align with your deeds, children of God. There has to be congruency. And again, I'm not trying to say perfect because we all know that we're in a process. It can be a messy process. It can be a lots of ups and lots of downs, but it ought to be developmental growth. It is recognizable both to us and to those that rub shoulders with us. So, okay, so... Now we know why we must have to fight. Let's talk a little bit about how we fight. Listen to yet another passage from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Colossae. He says, Christ's resurrection is what? Your resurrection too. That's kind of a mind bender. But it's kind of saying when Jesus rose... Picture yourself as having risen with him. In other words, you're already, in the book of Ephesians, it says you're already seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. Now, obviously, we're down here seated. But he says, think of yourself as already in heaven. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection, too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is where? Above. That's where reality is. This world is, is an illusion, more or less. For that's where Christ sits enthroned, at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Listen, when Jesus was on that cross, he didn't look like he had power at all. It looked like that wickedness and government corruption and the Roman government corruption and the, the false religion of the Jews that day, it looked like they had triumph. It looked like lying and scheming and power and violence won. But Jesus rose from the grave. And he showed that all those forces that are so intimidating on this earth are really impotent against God. He's alive, he's enthroned, he is working out his plan. The world may seem out of control, it is not out of control at all. He's working out his plan, and it's saying that we've got to keep our minds there. Keep your hearts and minds. It goes on to say this, keep your mind on things where that's hard to do, that requires a fight, because this world, this society, this life that we have to live in, it just gets all into us, it's real, it's real. It says, keep your mind on things above, not on worldly things. That requires a fight. It goes on. So we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. The eternal world right now cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. You'll live to see that. You're going to, more than likely, everybody in this room will live to see the deconstruction of society as we know it. We are very close. But the things we cannot see will what? Last forever. So this requires a fight. It's easy to get so consumed with the things that we have to deal with day to day that, that we can't remember. I'm the child of God. I, I'm as sure of eternal life as if I already had. I'm seated in the heavens with Christ. The battle is to see myself the way God sees me, already a part of his eternal family and plan. And here's how how this fight looks. This fight is very personal to most of us. Some of us, we, every day of our life, the fight takes on the form that we have so much anxiety and we have so much fear that we we can hardly picture ourselves safe and secure and beloved and exalted and enthroned in heaven with Jesus. It takes all the fight, all the energy we have just to function normally because we're scared all the time. We're scared every way we, we go. We can't even keep our minds clear. It's a fight to keep our minds clear. Some of us are so full of feelings of inferiority, insecurity, self-loathing that it is a fight, just a function. and And, and to try to believe that anybody would ever like us, that we would ever fit in anywhere with anyone at any time, that we would ever actually ever be loved and that people would stay loyal to us, that we wouldn't be rejected or abandoned or betrayed at some point. It is a fight to believe these things for some of us. It's a fight every day. Some of us, because of things that have been done to us and things that we have done, we have to fight every day of our life, some of us, to get get some degree of freedom from the pain, the guilt, the shame. Now, now Jesus doesn't want us to feel any of that, but it's a fight to believe that he loves us, he forgives us, he knows us. He's going to transform us to his own image. He wants us to cooperate with him in his life, but some of us have to fight because it keeps coming back and back and back. These memories, these feelings, this, this haunting guilt and shame, even though we know we're forgiven, and it torments us. And so some of us, these fights are very personal, very hidden. We smile at people, we function, but it takes a fight. Some of us, as Tyler shared his testimony, it's a fight with addictions of various sorts. And some of us can look so together and yet be so really untogether and so utterly addicted. And you know what? You don't don't ever get free unless you fight it, and you don't fight it until you own it. That's the start of that particular fight. But these battles, they're real. And if we let these feelings about ourselves control us, they will keep us from living the life that God wants us to have, being the people that we can be. You see, these Israelites were guaranteed a victory, guaranteed no matter how big and bad the opposition looked, guaranteed no matter how overwhelming the problems looked. They were guaranteed a victory if they would, what is the word I'm looking for? fight sometimes you just got to fight something if you don't you don't then you'll settle for a quality of life that is far below what God wants you to have you just got to fight you just got to fight get away from the notion that God's going to do everything for you let me read some more verses that that show where our fight you know really revolves around it says this in the book of Romans chapter 12 verse 2 it says do not allow this world this society to do what in other words, it's going to try to squeeze you and I into its mold. It's going to try to get us to, to blend in, to live like everybody else, to embrace its value systems, to embrace its habits, its ideas, its ideology, its religions, its worldviews. And it's saying, you've got to fight this thing because it's going to keep trying to squeeze you in. Nobody wants to be you know, looked upon as being different, but that's what we are called to be. Do not allow this world to mold you in its own image. Instead, be transformed, how, how? From the inside out by renewing our minds. What is renewing our minds? Is we get God's worldview, his view of life from his scriptures and we let that fill our minds and develop our value systems and our priorities and our practices and our conduct and our behavior. How many of you wish at times, come on, be honest, how many of you wish at times you were Amish? Because you know, like you look in your closet, (laughs) do I wear the white or the black? (laughs) that's it man but no 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 the styles keep changing and you're like oh shoot man those pants i'm wearing are too baggy now they're you know we're always you know you look in the closet whoa what matches if you're almost you're like i you wear the black or the white no the black the white or the black it's the same (laughs) now i'm not saying we all become amish (laughs) but that's how the world squeezes us and i'm saying we got to get weird on this um It's not so much about dress. It is a lot about issues of morality and conduct that we need to weigh out value systems and we need to fight. I'm telling you, it's a big fight because the world now is putting a big squeeze on us that if we don't think about certain subjects the way they think about them, they're making us to be evil people, not not even people that just have differing opinions. It's, It's a strange time how about this in the book of Colossians Paul writing the followers of of Christ in the city of Colossae again he says so do what put to death does that call for somebody to make a decision and and an act of their will if you're going to put something to death do you have to say okay I'm going to have to take action I'm going to have to exercise my free will how many of you agree with that statement That verse alone negates all this nonsense, let go and let God. You can let go and let God and just watch your life slide down the tubes into a direction you don't want it to go. We, I must, follower of Christ, we must put some things to death. Take action. What do we need to put to death? So put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth. What are the things he's talking about? Sexual immorality. I must put it to death. You must put it to death. Do I need to describe what everything is in sexual immorality? Do I need to do the Bill Clinton thing with you? You know? (laughs) Do you got to describe every little bit of sexual immorality or do you get it? Okay? (laughs) Sex is God's idea between a husband and a wife. Okay, let's move on. Sexual immorality, impurity. I think we all know what impurity is. Shameful passion, evil desire... And greed, which is, I need just a little bit more. I'm never quite content, which scripture calls idolatry. It is is trying to get your sense of significance, security, and satisfaction from persons, places, and things, and particularly from money. So I'm to put this stuff to death when I see it in myself. Now, God's going to help me just like the Israelites. You go across that Jordan, and you fight, and you take this land, Joshua. Be strong, be brave, be strong, be brave, be strong, be brave. He said it to him three times. But you got to fight, man. If you fight, you'll win. If you don't fight, you'll live in this mediocrity that you've been living in. You got to put some stuff to death. You can pray for it to go, but it won't go. And the Israelites could have prayed for the Canaanites to leave. Oh God, we ask in your name. Cause the Canaanites to move. Not going to happen. You have sexual immorality, you have you have evil desires. You have greed, you have these things. You can pray about them. Go ahead, please do pray. But if you don't fight, if you don't put them to death, they are going nowhere and they will take you and I down ultimately. Deprive us of the quality of life that Jesus wants us to have and the quality of life that He wants to be evident to other people who interact with us. Let's look at another one that calls for acts of the will again. But now put off. To put something off, it's, it's like taking clothing. How many of you know you'll go home tonight and you'll, you'll take some clothing off and maybe put some pajamas on or whatever, but you'll, that's what you, you, you have to do it. It's an act of the will. Put off all such things as anger. Some of you say, well, but I'm Irish. I can't get rid of anger. <laughs> God says you can. If you'll fight, put it off. Rage. Malice, malice is that nasty, always looking for the worst in somebody Always looking for the chink in everybody's armor Always wishing for the worst in people You like it when somebody is in trouble or takes a fall, you know Put off, malice, slander, you know, that's always cutting somebody, you know Putting them down, abusive language, you know, that's just cursing, profanity Nobody in here uses profanity, do they? Uh, Okay, so you don't even need that one Abusive language from your mouth. It's just words, Randy. No, it's not. You know it's not. You're intelligent people. You can find better words. You don't have to cuss, right? How many will fight that? You're to, if you don't fight anything else, you're gonna fight dropping those F-bombs occasionally, <laughs> giving yourself permission for that. Is, that. is that enough? Can we just at least do that? Okay. So you can see we're to take action, but God's going to empower us because these are things that he wants us to conquer and to rid ourselves of, and he will empower us to do that. Now, these things usually happen in very subtle ways. They're, they're not big in their graphic. I came across a story of this lady. She's the wife of a guy named Dave Getz. He was a former pastor. He's been involved in Christianity today in lots of different positions, but she's a nurse, and she switched her position, took a new nursing job. She was quite excited about it. And her first day at work, she's to give this little kid an immunization. And so she's confident, competent nurse, done it for years. She gives the kid the immunization. And then as she's going out to the office, she notices in her pocket that the seal was still on the immunization that she was supposed to give the kid. She gave the kid the wrong thing. So here's the actual conversation that she said went through her head. Let me just read this. She says, first of all, it's her first day on the job. She said, I can't tell the doctor. This is my first day on the job. The doctor will think I'm incompetent. Second train of thought. It it, it can't hurt him, can it? It it doesn't hurt to be immunized twice for the same thing. But he does need the right vaccine. And, and, And what will his mother say? Then her mind shifted to, no one will ever know. No harm will be done. But then the last thought was the key. But I'll always know, and so will God. How many of you you know these kind of internal struggles as a part of your regular life? How How many know these voices that go back and forth in all kinds of situations? And they require a fight of the right sort. She came out on the right end. She finally went to the doctor and she confessed what she had done. Fearing the loss of her job and all like that, the doctor said, hey, we can deal with this. She tells the kid's mother, you know, that we can't give the immunization that he was supposed to get today, but bring him back, you know, a couple weeks and it'll be fine. But we go through these internal struggles. They might seem small and inconsequential, but each time we yield to them in the wrong way, we lose ground and, and a little bit of desensitization occurs in our soul. I mean, one of the things that the dark forces are always trying to do, listen to me carefully on this. I'm going to go through a bunch of Ds. The first thing that the dark forces are always trying to do is to distract us from the truth about God and the truth about life. Just keep us stupidly happy until our last breath. The second thing the dark forces try to do is to desensitize us to how terrible evil is and how beautiful God and goodness is. The third thing they do is they try to ultimately, if they can distract us and desensitize us, debilitate us. Get us to the point where we're losing function in various areas of our life. We, we can't love. We can't do what is right. We, we are more and more restricted in our behavior and in our views and thinking. And we don't even know what's happening, but we are becoming less human and less alive. And then finally, if they can, what they want to do is after they debilitate us sufficiently is to destroy us. And we just hear about this happening in so many ways these days. Even suicide is vastly increasing tragically amongst young people. The people that used to want to live and enjoy life the most are now killing themselves at a very high rate. And it's all because of this thing. These dark forces, they're very smooth. They're very sophisticated. They're very real. Evil is an aggressive thing. And if You and I don't fight it within ourselves. Most of the evil we have to fight, it's inside us. Forget about trying to fight it on a society level in thinking that you're going to cure it. It's not. It's going to cause its own deconstruction. This is not to say that we don't fight it, but we have to fight it using the weapons that God has given us. And this next verse I want to share with you shows the way that we can do that. The Apostle Paul was explaining the mission that God gave to him and it's the mission that every Christ follower has our way of fighting evil in the world the most powerful way the most effective way to fight evil we are to open their eyes meaning those that are still captives by the system captives of Satan we're to open their eyes the only way you can do that is you have to tell people the truth about God and the truth about life that is the only way that people's eyes get opened Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness the illusory world that has been created over our eyes or been pulled over our eyes. to That they may turn from darkness to light. That's God, the truth about God, his goodness, his worthiness to be trusted. And from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive what? Forgiveness Forgiveness and what else? Release. Release from what? Don't ever subtract those two. There's too many doggone people in churches today that all they want to do is babble about forgiveness of sins, but the Scripture indicates that only those that want to be free from their sins actually possess forgiveness of their sins. Let me repeat that. The Scripture teaches that only those that actually want to be free from sinning are those that actually have forgiveness of sin. As long as I still... As long as I still want to sin, but I just want to figure out how to get that dog on the elevator to go up when I die. I'm just lying to myself. I'm trying to pull a con on God. I'm trying to I'm trying to, you know, pull something on him. And he he wants to save me, but to save me, he has to convince me that sin in every form is actually destructive. It's like a doctor trying to plead with a patient, you can't keep living this way. You are destroying yourself. You've got to stop. And so that's the notion. So the way we fight evil is to do whatever we can to open people's eyes. And it can happen in all kinds of subtle forms. One of the things we've taught in here for years is the power of one. If each and every one of us just started praying every year, oh God, allow me to affect one life or one family's life to move them toward you. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna look at my circle of influence. We all have a circle of influence and I'm gonna invest in the people that you've put me amongst and I'm gonna invite them, something as simple as inviting them to church can transform a life. It starts to turn the lights on. They start to turn from dark to light. Their eyes start to open. The matrix is broken. They start to know the truth about God and the truth about life. And strategically, there will be no better opportunity than next Sunday. No better opportunity to invite somebody. You know what's sad to me? Some Christians get so used to the drill, so used to the lingo, they stop inviting people they stop investing in people they stop trying to reach people for Christ truth be told I'm not going to embarrass any of you but truth be told some of us in this room probably a lot of us in this room haven't done anything very risky very fight like to try to influence another person for Christ to try to open their eyes to the truth about life man we're in the matrix you got to get out of this darkness you're you're on a path to destruction because it's uncomfortable It it can be embarrassing. It's a fight. It's a fight. Let me close with a story about an interesting, interesting guy. His name is Justin Wren. And uh, he was an All American college wrestler, and so it was easy for him to make a transition to MMA, uh, Mixed Martial Arts, when he came out. And he was doing really well in Mixed Martial Arts. Perhaps some of you uh, recognize the name. Albeit as time went on, he started uh, getting involved with drugs, very serious, hardcore level. And one of the best MMA teams uh, in the country just kicked him off the team because of his drug abuse and drug addiction. And so he went from this high to a very, very poor low. And he said that literally it seemed like all the people that were once his friends wanted nothing to do with him. And frankly, he was the kind of person that was hard to want to be around at this point in his life. He said, but there was this one guy, this one guy named Jeff, that just wouldn't leave him alone. He said, Jeff kept calling him a couple times a day. Jeff kept talking to him. Jeff was a Christian, a Christ follower. And Jeff just kept after Justin, didn't want to see him destroyed. And he finally invited him to a men's retreat, a Christian men's retreat. And Justin Wren said, you know, all he could picture is a bunch of goofy, goody two-shoes guys singing Kumbaya, you know. And he said, but he was at a point where it's like whatever so he went and he said what he found was guys that were real and honest they were real men they were raw they they were serious about the things they were eating their lunch and tearing their lives apart and they were serious about doing something about it and he said it really affected him as time went on Jeff kept in his life and finally Justin Wren became a Christian he put his trust in Christ he became a Christ follower Then, then he started praying saying God you know I want to do things different. I, I, I want you to have complete possession of my life. Whatever it is you might want me to do, please, please nudge me. Make it known to me. I want to do whatever you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Any of you ever prayed their prayer? I hope you have. I hope you have. Every Christ follower should. Anyway, he said as time went on, this this image started kind of forming in his mind. It's kind of a vision, not, not like a supernatural thing necessarily, but, but it was about something about the jungle and, and helping people that were oppressed. And so he connects with this guy at his church who happened to be leading a mission team. He says, he says Justin, that thing you're talking about, man, he says, do you know where our mission team is getting ready to go? And, and just like, well, no, no, no. Well, we're getting ready to go to the Congo and we minister to the Mabuti, the pygmy people. They are some of the most oppressed people that you will ever see in your life. You know, the pygmies, are a little four foot seven people, you know. I would have been a giant amongst the pygmies had I been there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Justin Wren says, yeah, yeah, I want to go. I want to go for sure. And so he goes on this mission trip, but he couldn't take just being there for a week. He went back and he decided... I'm going to go there, and I'm going to learn about them. I'm going to live with them. I'm going to learn their language. I'm going to eat what they eat. I'm going to sleep the way they sleep. I'm, I'm going to be a pygmy amongst them. And he does this for a year. The guy gets malaria. He almost dies. He endures on. And he's trying to serve them and reach them for Christ. And as time goes on, uh, they, they start to accept him in. Let me show you the first slide of Justin. Here he is. And they're not children. Those are full-grown men. And as time went on, they gave him a new name. And here's the new name. Ephiosa, the man, the man, I can't even say it, the man who loves us. Wouldn't it be great to have somebody in your life that says that about you or me that's the guy that's the gal that loved me loved me brought me to christ because they loved me it's not a hard thing to do but it does require a fight justin wren actually now is um, going back to mma for a little bit but he's just trying to raise some money so that he can spend his life you know ministering amongst the pygmies and um he closes with this quote He says, the drive to fight is still there, but I'm no longer fighting my inner demons. I'm fighting to fulfill God's call on my life. That's what I want to stir up in every one of you, in all of us. I want you to accept the idea that God has called you to be a warrior for all that is good, for all that is right, for all that will endure for eternity. And if we fight, we are guaranteed that we will win. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your sanity. Fight for your spiritual, mental, emotional health. Fight for your children. Fight to reach people that are reachable for Christ. Fight all your fears that keep you from being all that God wants you to be and doing all that God wants you to do. Fight your pride that keeps you from humbling yourself and getting the help that you may need. Fight whatever it is that stops you from embracing your own brokenness so that God can bring you into a place of health and beauty that you can hardly imagine. But fight we must. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts and you know that the sad truth is we are lazy creatures and we don't like to put effort forth for much at all we'll let things collapse around us we'll let problems go untended to we'll let your kingdom suffer from lack of workers and those that do outreach we'll let our lives limp along rather than just do what you call us to do to fight to be warriors You know it's in my heart. I pray so much that you will stir the hearts of each and every one of us this morning. Give us that certainty. You promise we will win if we fight. We don't have to live at this lower quality of life. Stir our hearts, and especially if there's any here that are still fighting their pride and their determination to rule and ruin their own life, fight with them, I pray, Spirit of God, to see that trusting You, Lord Jesus, their creator, is the only way that life can ever possibly work. Make us warriors. Make us warriors. May it start right here, right now. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.